0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 208 of F-STOP, Collaborate and Listen. This week I was joined by a photographer from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Krista McCush. Krista has lived a life filled with a variety of interests, jobs, and curiosities, which she has leveraged and turned inwards into the creation of some very personally expressive photographs of intimate subjects very close to home. Krista has an innate ability to bring her experiences as an attentive observer of nature into the creation of some really wonderful nature photography. Krista and I covered a lot of ground on the show this week, including how Krista's backgrounds and interests inform her creative process, her home studio, which is filled with some really interesting natural curiosities, how Krista's approach to photographing close to home has inspired her to create her photographs, and how and why Krista shows a sense of mystery and wonder through her images, and lots more. Over on Patreon this week, Krista answers the question, do we always need to be highly productive and have a presence on social media to feel accomplished? Okay, let's get to the show. Alright, Krista McCush, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. I'm pretty happy to be here and uh, pretty honored that you uh, invited me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am secretly a huge fan of your work, and um, I don't—I don't know what it is. I think it's just you know the the detailed scenes that you're taking pictures of. It just opens up this whole world of imagination for me that uh, has always seemed to escape me. So I really appreciate the work you're doing.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, let's just. Dive right in. So for people that um, are not familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, um, I live in Nova Scotia on the East Coast of Canada. I spend a lot of time outside uh, when I can, and I'm always taking the camera with me and I'm looking at the details in nature. Um, right now I'm on a hiatus from working. Um, I just spent four years looking after my parents until they passed away. So I'm at a crossroads right now and I'm just deciding what's next in terms of uh, what work I'm going to go back to.
0: I'm sorry for your loss. That's okay. That must have been a really challenging time for you.
1: It was exceptionally challenging for sure it was four years. It was quite a long process. So yeah. So I was originally a nurse, so
0: it, it sort of
1: um, became second nature, I guess.
0: And my wife, uh, her mom recently went through something like that. She passed away from a rare form of dementia and her dad was basically her uh, her caretaker for several years. So I totally appreciate what you've gone through there.
1: Yeah, I mean I always made time for photography so that was uh really important, but it just um right now I I seem to have a little bit more head space for it anyway, so that's good. So I can get back to uh some things I was doing.
0: Yeah, I mean not to uh belabor that particular topic, but I'm just curious, did you see any aspect of your photography shift or change through that period?
1: Um yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, for some reason, I started um, becoming a really heavily interested in still life photography. Um, and I started reading a lot about it and studying it. You know, I studied Blossfeld, Robert Maplethorpe, Weston, Paul Caponegro, you know, the list is endless. But um, I studied that. And for me, it was, heavy hitters it was like,
0: right
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it was like, bringing the landscape inside and it was it was something that I I controlled everything about it I controlled the lighting I controlled everything that I wanted to construct for what I wanted to express so um, that that was one of the things that shifted for me was my interest in still life for sure and some people find it boring but I find it I, I find it fascinating so
0: was that more because of your particular Situation of how your living situation, or was there a specific part of still life that drew you in?
1: Um, I I guess so. I needed a way to just unwind and relax. And so, if I wasn't able to get outside and go very far, I could just go into my studio. And I I have a sort of makeshift studio, which is a, a dining room that's been converted. And uh, I have a huge nature collection in there. Full of, it's it's kind of looks like a scary place, I think, um, according to my family anyway. They don't dare venture in there. And uh, I just have nature collections everywhere. So <laughs> I'm always pulling something out and looking at it and wanting to photograph it. So there's something about it that draws me in and I something I want to express. And I, it just kind of percolates to the surface and comes out somehow so
0: that that's yeah you had uh, you had mentioned that you had a an interesting kind of makeshift home studio and i was envisioning well i don't even know what i was envisioning <clears throat> like a a room filled with cabinets and you know like a an apothecary full of like herbs and like different trinkets and things like tell tell us what kind of stuff you have stashed away uh, that you're able I to have- take pictures of
1: that's a pretty good summary actually. (laughs) I, I, I have, um, well, a corner of it is sort of like a lab and, you know, I run sort of, uh, experiments in one corner. There's a lot of cabinets. There's two or three cabinets in there and they're loaded full of, um, whatever I found on my travels. Um, I generally don't collect things in parks and whatnot, but when I'm in the middle of nowhere and it's not going to impact, um, you know, be detrimental in any way. For example, if you know I found a bird's nest or something on a path and it was just going to get tramped on, I might bring that home. Or, you know, I, I just collect things, whatever—shells, rocks, you name it—I collect it. So, um, it it can be—that's uh, really cool. <laughs> yeah, if you were to look in there right now, it's it's a bit scary. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I know I know you. It sounds like you kind of you know, go between photographing stuff out in the nature and outdoors, but then also this home studio. What are some of the differences between those two approaches in terms of creative process or kind of your approach?
1: Well, in the studio, it's it's very controlled. And I I just have ideas that I need to work with and play with. When I'm when I'm outdoors, it's it's a, it's much more spontaneous. It's whatever I happen to find. And I'm I'm very much drawn to details. So whatever I find in my travels is um it's always unique and fresh. There's always something new to me. And um yeah, I, I never stop finding something to photograph. It just happens. I I never have to worry about um, there being a creative block unless um, unless I'm not able to get out. Like the moment I get out, it just happens. I just find something I want to look at and oftentimes that works its way into making an image of something. And um, so it's less controlled, but it's still there's still, um, I don't know, there's still like expressive sort of things that need to come out that you just when you see something, you relate to it, you make a connection. and then the
0: image happens. So when you're, it seems like, I well, know, I guess I can only speak for myself, but like when you're in nature, you're kind of reacting to what you find and, and then you're kind of trying to self-express what that reaction is about or something to that nature. But when you're kind of creating something in the home studio, it seems like that form of self-expression is different and can take on different shapes and sizes and you can try different things on, or, um, you can arrange things in a certain way that, that kind of purposely more, more purposely kind of displays what you're, what you have in mind. I'm curious what some of those differences are.
1: Yeah. Oftentimes, um, I, I get inspiration from everywhere. I'm, I'm a voracious reader, so I get ideas from whatever I'm reading, whether it be articles on the internet or a big stack of books that I happen to be interested in. Um, it could be a TV show. It could be something that somebody said and that triggered something. Um, but and I, I'm always into different things. So I think, you know, the more things that you're connecting with, then you just connect ideas together and, and it just kind of morphs into a creative piece of work somehow. That's the best I can do to explain it. I, It's hard for me to explain. It just sort of happens. Like, I, I don't Full need man. to... I don't ever need to do inventories. I just, it just happens. Yeah.
0: I mean, maybe maybe it would be helpful to describe what a typical like home studio session looks like in terms of, you know, your setup and kind of, you know, is it planned ahead or is it like you read something in a book and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to explore this idea with my camera. Like, and then how long does it take after you decide to do it? Like, what does that kind of typical workflow look like?
1: um okay i'll I'll see something in my garden uh here's a perfect example um covid last year i mean we were in lockdown like everyone else and i just started um cleaning up my garden getting ready to you know um plant again and i found these old stalks and they were from um a plant called solomon seal and they had a really neat structure they were like long stems with like um you know, two little pieces hanging off all along the stem. And I just started grabbing them and picking them up. And then I held them up and I just thought, oh my God, I have to, these, this cannot wait. It has to go into the studio now and I have to photograph it. And I, I arranged it in the studio against a black sort of um, like black velvet. It's like a black velvet backdrop. I had natural light coming in the window. I I didn't even pay attention to what time of day. And all I knew is that the image had to happen, and it had to happen right then and there. Like, there was no time lag. Like, I wouldn't be interrupted. I wouldn't have been happy if I someone interrupted me. Um, so I went into the studio, and, and the first image I made was the one I was happy with, and it turned out exactly the way I had imagined it when I was holding them in my hand. I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I even knew what words I wanted to use. So...
0: Let's you know, talk uh, when, about that. What, when that, what, uh, when that <laughs> what was going through your head? What, was, what, 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 what did you want to say? What did you want to express?
1: Um, I just, I had them in my hand and I, and I was just thinking, you know, like, no no matter, like here are these dead stalks that I've been picking up out of the garden and they still have a life in them. And there's a rhythm and, and form to these stalks. Like they want to go back to the way they were. And maybe that's what I was thinking, like how how easy it is to, um, be in a mindset of you just, you just want to go back to the way things might have been or when, yeah, I think that's what I was thinking. Um, but sometimes it's, it's not as easy to, um, articulate for some reason, but I I know when I have to do something and I, it, it just happens. (laughs) I keep saying that it's hard to explain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's cool. It's awesome. It's, um, I, w- I think a lot of people listening might be like, oh, I wish that's how it works for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it's it, it comes very easy at times, you know, like um, the creative flow, I guess, is what you want to call it. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and was there a, a certain mindset that you were in before you discovered uh, those 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 plants, or or was it just kind of like in the moment when you discovered them, it just clicked?
1: Um, I was probably feeling a bit melancholy for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found, uh, when the COVID situation hit, I found it very difficult because I'm used to having the house to myself during the day. And all of a sudden everyone was together in the house. So my husband and my two kids and, and all of a sudden we're all, you know, in each other's back pockets and I'm so used to my space and my solitude during the day. You know, my kids are in school my husband's at work and I'm doing other things. And, um, so that, that was really hard and we had to learn how to, you know, day in, day out, we weren't going anywhere. We couldn't even go into parks initially. Uh, so it was just, you know, mm-hmm. so I think I was feeling a bit, um, yeah, I was feeling a bit claustrophobic for sure. Uh, I wasn't having any, any much space mm. and, um, and yeah, and I, I don't think, yeah, I mean, I'm a chronic insomniac too. So <laughs> I know I was quite tired too. So when I was out in the garden, I just, it was um, something I could do to relax and it just kind of came together.
0: it also sounds like um, that style of photography for you is kind of a way of kind of processing what you're going through either emotionally or physiologically.
1: Uh, true, but I think so is getting outside and going for really long hikes and making discoveries sure. and having that, that overwhelming sense of wonder, I guess. I, am never, I never stop being surprised and what I find it's, I like the unexpected surprises.
0: What are your favorite three things in your curiosities and nature collections in your home studio? Oh my. Um, I have a great, I have some great skulls. It's like picking your favorite children, right? <laughs> oh, skulls.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. I haven't photographed them yet. I just haven't found a way that um, <laughs> would be appealing <laughs> to me or anyone else. Um, yeah, I have a, a crow skull, uh, a porcupine skull. <laughs> um, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are so many. I mean, I have some fantastic birds' nests that uh, I've found too that have um, been on, you know, down trees. Um, I have a huge lobster claw. I don't know. There, there are so many interesting things. Ooh. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. I, speaking of skulls, I, one of my favorite photos I took way back in like 2013, um, I was at this park in Colorado Springs and it was late winter, early spring. And there was this, um, dried out yucca plant with the seed pod sticking up and I got a, a sun flare through the yucca pod. And then over in the corner of the f- photograph is a prairie dog skull that I was sh- just happened to be sitting there. And it was like, Oh, this is perfect. Cause it's, you know, it's this kind of Eastern plains area that's up against the mountains and it's full of prairie dogs everywhere. But I was like, Oh, there's a prairie dog skull. <laughs> <laughs> so you can yeah, you- find a good, co- cool way to use it.
1: Yeah, you're, you're probably a little bit more disciplined than me, and you probably don't bring things home like I do.
0: I'm not sure. <laughs> that that was going to be part of one of my next questions, because I don't think my wife would be super happy if I brought home a bunch of stuff like that. So how does your spouse feel about having all of these things in the house? Um, he's been pretty good about
1: it uh, most of the time, if I keep it to one room, but... There are times where <laughs> there's been a few disagreements, so we say. Definitely. So,
0: I'm sure my wife know. would let me have like one like a plastic tote or something.
1: <laughs> I have um when my rock collection starts to invade the whole house, then there are issues for sure. So
0: it's time to take get those get outside. Tra-
1: <laughs> they get thrown out in the garden, they do. So. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Well, I wanted to go back and um, talk a little bit more about your kind of your your background, Um, because I I have some questions that eh, we'll see where they go. Um, So I understand that you kind of have a very diverse background and kind of a generalist history. So, you know, you have a lot of interests and things that you're into, like natural sciences and music and reading and winter sports and hiking and foraging and that those all sound amazing. I'm just curious, how does having that diverse set of interests play into, um, the style of photography that you personally engage in?
1: Um, I, have always thought, I mean, all, all of the interests just kind of came together, I guess, as I've, um, evolved. Um, and you know, all the experiences I've had that have sort of shaped what I do, but, um, I, I think having a lot of different, juggling a lot of interests. I think you can connect a lot of ideas easier. Like it it doesn't, it's not, it comes much easier. Um, there's something called, uh, you've probably heard people mention uh, conceptual blending. And there's also, um, mm-hmm. what, what's, what's it called, uh, combinatorial uh, creativity. Um, I think Steve Jobs has mentioned it. Even Einstein has talked about it. Many people have talked about it. Um, so, yeah, I think that the more ideas you have, um, that comes out of um, having a, a lot of different interests and maybe um, learning a lot and reading a lot. And um, when you're out and like, I, I just need, I need to know how things work when I'm outdoors. Like if I find something, um, if I s- find something when I'm out hiking and I, and I don't understand it, I, I need to know. I need to know why it's there. How did it come to be? And, and I need to figure it out. So, and I think that's why I find um, I, you probably notice I photograph a lot of ice and
0: uh, yes. ice <laughs> and like uh, ice. leaves <laughs> trapped in ice and,
1: and yeah. yeah, it just it 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 never looks the same to me. I it, it's always different, and I mean I know I know it's based on um, pretty simple things. It's um, temperature and the amount of rainfall we get and all that sort of thing, but to me the structures and the ice, it just always looks different. I find it very calming. Uh, It sometimes brings me clarity when my brain feels very busy. So, um, it, it helps, it helps, you know, it's one of those things that I'm passionate about photographing for whatever, those are the reasons, I
0: guess. Yeah. One of the things I just picked up on that I can relate to is, um, you say that when you see something you don't understand, you, you need to, you need to know, you need to figure it out. And, uh, I've been doing a lot of that lately myself, especially around geological processes. Or, you know, like one example I have is uh, this last fall, I've, I've, I I've was just wandering around the, this roadside in fall and there was all of these aspen leaves stacked up in a stream against rocks. And it was like, literally like every five feet or three or four feet, there was just a rock in the stream and then like a whole bunch of leaves piled up against it. And I thought that was so fascinating. I just watched it. I'm like, how is this? How are those leaves staying in one spot with this pretty? You know, the water's moving pretty fast, and it was just, I don't know, stuff like that. I just love trying to understand how those things are happening. And I was curious, how does the camera and the lens and your photographic processes, how does that help you kind of discover uh, or satiate your curiosity? Ah, uh, well, this
1: is where. Going back to the same place repeatedly uh, makes a huge difference for me. I, um, I'm not much of a traveler. I, I don't really like to travel. I'm, I don't enjoy, I mean, even before COVID, I, I, I don't enjoy traveling on airplanes at all. I find it very stressful. Um, I mean, I can do it, but I find it stressful. It gives me a lot of anxiety. So I, I, keep, I keep close to home. Uh, the farthest I will drive is probably two hours. So uh, a lot of my photography happens close to home. And so when you're repeatedly going back to the same place, I mean, and in and every single season, you you just, you notice the smallest changes and you, right. can, figure, you can figure out, uh, like if you went back to that same spot again and again, where you saw those rocks and the leaves, like you would have it all figured out without even, even knowing it really. Like you would just, or you would just know how that came to be. Uh, and if you didn't, you would, you know, you could figure it out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I guess that's, I do. Uh, yeah.
0: That makes sense. I think one of the things I like about traveling is that you get exposed to a lot of different things that you've never seen before. And then your, your curiosity alarms just go off like crazy all the time. And it sparks all kinds of ideas for, you know, how to... F- make a picture out of it. So I think there are benefits to both approaches, but I totally appreciate what you're saying about going back to the same places over and over and over again, because you, especially around, you know, noticing really small things that, you know, Oh, that wasn't like that last year. What, what's different this time. And um, I think that's really cool that you do that. Uh,
1: I do. I do go to new places too. It's just that I, I always go back to the ones that my favorite places. And I seem to be able to make the most photographs too, and seem to, you know, relax and calm down whenever um, in my favorite places. That's where I seem to, it seems to be my happy place.
0: Yeah. You have a photograph that you recently put up that literally, when I saw it, my, my head exploded, and I think there was drool coming out of my mouth. And <laughs> it, wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, well and I think it was especially after I read the description, I was like, What? No way. It, well, um, now, now, it's No. now a, I'm curious. Yeah, it's um it says the the optical illusion created by bri- uh Bryozoans, the microscopic masons of the sea. And when I read the description and I looked at the picture, I was like, How what what am I looking at? This is amazing. And it's, of course it's there's patterns and subtle colors and it's just i thought it was like scales on a fish or something but I'm, tell me about that one
1: um yeah that those are um those bryozoans are, are microscopic uh invertebrates uh, they're filter feeders so you find them in um here you find them in tidal pools deep tidal pools where there's a lot of kelp and that particular one that um, interest me. We have several different kinds, but this particular one is quite invasive, So, but it, it has really interesting patterns. Um, so, I mean, I, I did take the liberty when I processed that. I mean, I knew when I saw it that I, I wanted to, um, when I processed it, I knew that I wanted to capture the patterns and how it looked like an optical illusion and the best way for me to do that was the the actual image itself, it's actually inverted. The walls of the barbers I want are actually white. They're not dark. But I wanted them to be outlined so that you could oh. see it better. Yeah. So it's actually an inverted image. And uh, and I took liberties with the color because, well, there's a lot of blue in my images. So but I mean, you know, in in terms of um, in terms of whether that's a, a real image or not. Um, the uh, the organisms itself are real, but I took liberties with, um, how I processed it. So that's, um, yeah. Sure. Yeah.
0: And so I'm curious when you first discovered this particular organism and decided to make a photograph of it, what was your thought process and approach to, to doing it? Cause I, I am pretty sure I would not have the tools to be able to pull that one off.
1: Yeah, I, um, looking at it. Um, I mean, I just, there, there's sometimes there the pieces of kelp wash up on the beach as well. So I think, um, I was playing around the tidal pool. So I knew where they originated and I picked up a piece of kelp on the beach and it, you know, it was loose. So, um, just looking at it and seeing the patterns on both sides, it was just, I, I knew exactly then how I wanted it to look. I, I I knew that I would invert the image because of, I knew that it, it wouldn't show up otherwise. So I, I I knew I was going to do that, um, and and I can do that sometimes with certain in the studio as well. I know that I'm going to invert the image, and I want it to be different or
0: the size of a penny or like what was how big is the is the subject?
1: Oh oh okay um that image it's probably about two centimeters. So I, wow. I was obviously, <laughs> I was, sorry, I, I didn't mention that, but yeah, I use the macro lens a lot. So,
0: yeah, no, I mean, I figured it was a macro, but I wasn't like, are we talking like a 105 or like, what's your favorite tool?
1: Um, I have a 65 as well, but I don't, um, I did dabble a little bit in um, extreme macro, but it just wasn't working for me. So I use a hundred, a hundred millimeter macro.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've never done, like, extension tubes and stuff like that?
1: No, I've always used the 100 millimeter, and then I've gone to 65, which can go from one times to five times magnification. Cool. And, of course, That's awesome. um, the next step would be a stereo microscope. That would be kind of <laughs> cool, too.
0: Honestly, when I read the description, I'm like, is she using a microscope? i <laughs> like, this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, because it, it, yeah, it just, when you read it, it's like, those are microorganisms, <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's you know. next. The microscope is next. That'll be, a, uh, that'll be a future project.
0: Isn't that so interesting how some people want to get a telescope out and look at you know, gal- galactic objects in the sky. And then some people want to get a microscope out and look at the tiniest details on a piece of kelp.
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people make fun of me. They say, why are you always looking down at your feet and on the ground? And I'm like, well, I can't help it. I, I need to... I need to see what's around me. Yeah. It's not so much uh, a pie.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, why why do you choose to do the the details in nature over, you know, more traditional, you know, landscape scenes and things like that? Because I noticed you literally have, like, no skies in any of your photographs.
1: Yeah. And, you know... That, that's very true. And it, it's, I, I've tried to be inspired by taking, you know, wider views of the grand landscape. I've tried. And I just, I don't have the same feeling. And, but the good thing is, is that I love looking at everyone else's work. So um, it's true. I, I, I could not be a, what is it? A, a photographic celibate? I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So yeah, um, I mean, I, I certainly have times when I want to disconnect, but, um, I, I'm deeply inspired by looking at the work of other people and, uh, I like to engage with, uh, the work of other people too. Like I like to, you know, if, if it's really, um, inspiring, I'll tell them I have no problems, you know, reaching out and saying, Hey, I love these images. So, yeah, but I mean, also, um, I love street I mean- photography too. And I, I, don't, I don't, um, I don't take pictures of, in street in the street or urban areas, but I love to look at it. So
0: yeah. So, I've tried. Uh, I'm not good at it.
1: <laughs> yeah. There'd be a good reason why I wouldn't be good at it too. So
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You would think I would be okay at it. Cause I like people, but um, I don't know. There's something very uncomfortable with street photography for me in terms of, you know, almost voyeuristic that you kind of don't feel right. Bless me.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't do it either. I, I I would feel like I'm invading privacy, so...
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's how I am, too. Well, I wanted to pause for a moment to tell listeners about a unique and exclusive offer available only to you. I am offering one-on-one experiences in the desert or mountains, where I help you learn to create personally expressive artwork. This is your opportunity to ask me anything. I will be your personal guide for unlocking your curiosity and helping you discover a path forward in your creativity. Check out the show notes for more information. Okay, let's get back to our great chat with Krista. Well, tell us about some of the things that are close to you that inspire you. I know you've got you know, wetlands, and you've got woodlands, and you've got um, coastal barrens. I'm curious, what do each of those different um, climates and subjects bring to the table for you, and that's in the style of photography that you engage in.
1: Uh, I can start with the coastal barrens. Um, I love wandering the coastal barrens, and um, it's it's open, it's uh, wind swept, um, it's very cold in the winter, but um, that's where I find a lot of interesting uh, ice. There's ice pools that get frozen over, and they're they're quite briny. So uh, I can find interesting patterns there. So, uh, and the vegetation is just so completely different from, say, the coastal barrens to um, a bog or a marsh here. And we have a lot of wetlands here. It's uh, it's it's predominantly from um, the glacial times. There's um, they were carved out by glaciers, and now there's a lot of you know pockets of peaty bogs and. But I just love looking at the diversity and, and what things I can find. Again, I, I often use the macro lens and bugs. <laughs> I find um, insectivorous sort of plants, so plants that eat insects. So there are a lot of those that are really interesting to photograph. And yeah, I just find all kinds of things. Yeah.
0: That's that's super cool. I, I'm, one thing I was curious about, in relation to your style of work, um, and I know we'll talk about it later too, but uh, how do you see it being received by by other people who aren't photographers? Because, um, you know, I think a lot of people typically, you know, they engage in like the pretty sunset scenes and stuff like that, but sometimes get bored with it. Do you find that people engage in your style of work in a different way?
1: Uh, do you mean – yeah, so you mean not photographers, just um, like a yeah, general – uh,
0: General public, yeah.
1: <laughs> I would say the only people that like my images that are not photographers would be family and friends. <laughs> you know, I, I don't <laughs> think. I, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's just not the kind of thing you'd want to hang on your wall. Sometimes, you know. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I. I don't. I don't. I don't shoot for. I don't make images um, for people that. Um, I'm not really thinking about that. I mean, sure, I mean, I, 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 sure, a little bit of recognition from, you know, your peers is nice. You know, someone says, hey, you know, I really like, you know, these sort of images. They're different. They capture something I hadn't thought about. I've never noticed before. Sure, I mean, that's nice. But to me, I'm just fascinated by some of the things I photograph. And I certainly realize it doesn't fascinate everybody. But uh, then it comes down to, well what, what do you share? I share probably less than 1% of my work. So, uh, I share very little of what I take. So what I make. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me too much. Uh, yeah.
0: So if you're not doing it for the recognition from your peers and you're not doing it, uh, to sell images, uh, to your adoring fans, what is motivating you to make these images?
1: Um, I think photography, I think for me, for the most part, has become, it's become a visual uh, journal. It's my way of um, documenting my love for the natural world and how I connect with it. And um, that's been a large part of my life since I was probably three years old. So um, that was my very first um, strong connection, uh, the natural world. I mean, it was the one thing that I could count on. Um, more than anything else um and i and I learned to have a reverence for it
0: yeah it's uh, it's amazing how that nature can just keep you going <laughs> uh, absolutely. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, kind of related to what we were talking about earlier um, about having a generalist kind of curiosity of the world, I know that you've also had a very diverse um set of career paths and have done some very interesting things. You were a uh, ICU and flight nurse and I've had a, quite a journey through your vocations and maybe tell us a little bit about that path. And then I would love to hear about kind of how that has uh, influenced your, the choices you make in, in the, in photography.
1: Uh, Yeah. Okay. My, um, my journey to photography is, I guess I could have got that to that in the beginning, but it's a bit convoluted. Um, I first, um, I guess, became a really um, enamored with photography um, in high school. I had a, I had a, um, an door neighbor who was a, an art teacher, and she had a dark room in her basement. So she was the one that introduced me to photography. But, you know, back then, I, I never thought about, I mean, I loved it, but I never thought about gee, I should go to, I should take, uh, you know, a fine art degree in photography that, that, that didn't even cross my mind. Cause I thought, oh, there's no way I could make a living off of it. And I had so many other interests. I, I thought, gee, you know, I thought I wanted to be a surgeon at one point. So, um, I, um, yeah, I ended up going to school and um, being a nurse, but before all that, I, I joined the military and that was, um, that was, um, a life-changing experience for me. Uh, I wanted financial independence, you know, finishing high school. And um, I joined the military. I They paid for my university. And then I I worked with them for five years after. And, um, well, I guess there's no other way around it. I mean, I've seen things that most people should never see and um, uh, horrific things. Mm. And, uh, I mean, that, that affects a person. Um, so I mean, I've seen the worst the worst things that humanity has to offer. So uh, you know I carry that around in my head too, and I sort of channel that into my work as well. Um, so I I was with the military for five years, and then I finished, and I decided to become a geologist after that. So I went back to university uh, while I was working as a nurse and many different hospitals and um, I got a geology degree and then I worked in uh, uh, the petroleum industry industry for a little while. And um, with geology, I was using my camera a lot more. I mean, I did use, um, I did take uh, a lot of pictures when I was in the military too, but again, those are pictures that <laughs> I could never show to anyone. But uh, geology, it was all for um, my degree and um, it was mostly documenting things like scientific things um yeah so my um my shift in photography came much later with the digital world like you know when everything converted over to digital that's when the big shift came for me and i think a lot of people say that you know all of a sudden you're able to get feedback much quicker in terms of you know what you're doing and you can you can improve and make your images stronger. And I just, something shifted. Um, and I, but I think also it had to do with pulling all the experiences I had in life and it just kind of all came together at once with the converting from film to digital and just channeling the things I needed to express and, and finding a creative outlet for it, I think. So,
0: yeah. So it sounds like you, you did quite a shift from using the camera to kind of, as more of a tool for documenting what you saw into more of a device um, for personal expression. And I'm curious, what was the shift that happened for you um, where you suddenly thought of yourself as using the camera for creative expression Um, and and I guess essentially see yourself as an artist?
1: Yeah, I I think... um... I think I've only really seen myself as an artist, probably in the last couple of years. You know, I don't think I ever would have let myself, I never would have thought that my photography was good enough, I guess, um, until, you know, maybe the last couple of years where I've I've had more intent, I'm um, paying more attention, um, and also, well, I know this has been said lots before too, but just... Knowing, like studying photography, the history of photography, and knowing everything that came before, and just being well versed on everyone that is, everyone that um, took, made images in in the same vein that I want to do them, like intimate landscape photography and macro photography. Um, those are the things that I'm interested in. So I, I did all kinds of research, and I read like the history of those mediums, like those that genre of photography. So. Yeah, I guess that's that was the big shift there.
0: Do you ever have a conscious kind of aha experience as you're making photographs where it um, connects for you on an emotional level? Like this image is helping me process XYZ or is it after the fact that you're able to kind of recognize those types of things in your work? Or, or is it a mixture?
1: I would say it's probably a mix. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sometimes it's yeah, it's a bit of both for sure. Sometimes in the studio. Sometimes when I'm out, I recognize something and it, it just resonates with me really strongly. And I, I know I have to make an image of it. And if for whatever reason it it doesn't come together, I'll go back another time. If you know the conditions weren't. Um, you know, as good as they could have been, I'll I'll go back. Um, And sometimes it works out, you know, it just depends on what it is I'm photographing. If it's a particular plant, well, yes, sometimes I could go back the next day if the conditions are better, but there's just something about it, the subject that, well, it becomes something else. It becomes more about the subject matter. It becomes more about the subject itself than the actual subject
0: matter, I guess is what I'm trying to
1: say. Something, so there's mm-hmm. something there that is and worth expressing. Yeah.
0: And have you found there to be certain themes that get kind of uh, emerge uh, on a regular basis? Um, or are you looking for uh, certain themes to express while you're out in the field or when you're in your home studio?
1: Sometimes it's gratitude, sometimes it's uh, perseverance, survival, um, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe sometimes a little bit of isolation, um, and sometimes uh, I see a lot of forms and patterns, and and I think of music. I I, I bring my music into that. Uh, I'm a pianist. As um, I took ten years of piano growing up, so I I have a, a music background. So I um yeah I often see rhythms and forms and patterns, and and I think musically. I think of music, mostly
0: classical. Yeah, I could see that, especially in like that that photo I saw. Where it almost looks like uh waves. The way that it got presented, I I could totally see that.
1: <laughs> For
0: sure. Rhythms. Yeah, rhythms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The
1: landscape, the landscape yeah. has rhythm. What can I say?
0: How do you um bring your experiences um in the world, you know, you were talking about channeling the, some of the things that you saw in the military into your work and you know other experiences you've had throughout your life maybe it you know caring for your 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 dying parents or maybe it's something on a more positive note like caring you know your, your family your children like how do you bring those experiences into your photography hmm
1: that's kind of a tough question to answer it just sometimes uh, photographs sometimes you just don't have the words to explain you know what you're feeling you just know that you're you're channeling something in your head into the image and you know sometimes it's um founded in you know grief or loss I mean or there's just something that um you can't you can't process everything. I, I think you just, you carry things around in your head. Uh, sometimes it's a huge mashup and, and sometimes you maybe just being out there and making images and making creative work, somehow it just feels right. It, it makes, it brings fulfillment. It, it brings a sense of peace, calm. You know, when your when your brain doesn't feel calm, I mean, there are things that, you know, you can do that bring calm and peace. So, I guess that's probably one of the reasons why I enjoy it so much and being outside and um, working with natural objects.
0: It's very calming. Do you find that benefit more happening within the moment um, or is it more like after the fact, like you've come home from, you know, exploring in the coastal uh, barren region and, and you come home from making some really cool images and you're like, Oh, that was so awesome. Or is it more while wow, you're doing it? Or is it, I guess I it could be both. It, but.
1: I would say it's both. <laughs> it's both. It's doing it and coming back from it. And, and then, you know, until you, it starts all over again and then you need to do it again. Right. So. Sure. Yeah. I'm That's sure cool. you, uh, you, you probably find that too. You know, you, you get back and then soon enough, you're itching to get out again. So you know, it just, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was trying to think of that answer that question for myself because I'm not sure I figured it out yet. I think oftentimes for me, I'm getting those benefits more later. You know, it's like thinking back to the experience. It's like, Oh, that was awesome. I remember what that was like Um, for me. I'm more, more connected to the memory of the experience than the actual experience itself, which is kind of strange, but I mean, they're both powerful, but um, I've always been a sucker for nostalgia, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I find it hard to hang on to that feeling of, um, I guess um, being energized, you know, being energized and being outside energized, but also feeling calm. I find it hard to hang on to that feeling. Like it's very difficult to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I wish it was easier you know but it it isn't so
0: yeah they're they're very fleeting for me as well it's like it would, you have the experience and then it, it's kind of over with and there's almost like a little bit of a letdown afterwards right and then you're kind of processing it um and then maybe a, a day or two or three later you kind of have the memory and it's like it kind of brings a smile to your face at least that's for me
1: Yeah. And if you have the, uh, if you've made an image or you've been creative in some way and you can recreate that memory and in a, in a way, it's not quite the same for me, but I can recreate it in in a way I can recreate that feeling. It's just not as strong as actually being out and doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, but it's, um, it's not as intense, but it's, Lasts a little bit longer. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
1: But there's also the, the antici- there's there's the anticipation
0: too, right? Um, sure. Yeah. There's all that anxiety that's building up to it. You're chasing yeah, a crazy like, sunset or something, and it actually yeah, happens.
1: I, You're like, oh my god! You won't you won't see many of those in my photos either. Sorry. <laughs> I just uh, yeah. I just I'm not out during that time. I I I generally I'm not out during sunrise or sunset. It's just how my life is at the moment. I, I'm just not out outdoors during those times. So I would like to be, I'm sure I could well, play with that late, but yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think most people could learn a lot from, from your ability to make photographs, not in those time periods. Um, what, what tips would you have for people who have never had success at that?
1: Ah, uh, well, I think, um, going out and just noticing what's around you but something else that I, I notice you know when I've you know sometimes I do um, what you know sort of one-on-one um, type things um, with people I mean it's it's certainly not a business but I'll take someone out but one thing I notice is that people have very little knowledge of the natural world they they don't know anything about it like they just know that's a tree but I mean I would know exactly what kind of tree it was and why it's growing, where it's growing and, you know, whether it's going to, you know, what mushrooms will grow around it that I could eat. You know, (laughs) just things like that. Like I I would so I I think um, if people want to take, you know, photos out in the natural world, I think building up a knowledge of the natural world is helpful. And then also recognizing what you respond to, like what 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 changes your emotions like what what do you relate to is it is it the colors is it the patterns and then you know trying to understand what you're feeling at that time and then for me it would be getting in close i'm not so much interested in the wider view but getting in close and um treating something like um a compositional puzzle if i'm just looking at it from say making an image for example um and you want to make an image um Watching, you know, how you compose your image and knowing the elements of visual design. For me, that's kind of evolved just by looking at images. I haven't really done a lot of research in that. I mean, I know a lot of research exists, but for me, it's just been just by doing it and researching sort of what has come before, paying attention to the corners of the image, um, distracting elements, what goes in, what, what stays out what you put in, and, of course, balance. Um, Balance and harmony in an image. You just sort of come to know what works and what doesn't. So those are sort of the things that I would tell people.
0: Yeah. And and what about, um, you know, the light conditions? I mean, you know, you're pretty far north, so you probably do benefit a little bit from, you know, longer sunsets and sunrises where you know it's 10 in the morning you have pretty nice directional light but you know when the light gets relatively harsh up, up above in the sky what are some of the tips that you have for photographing your subjects in harsher conditions
1: you know i rarely pay attention to it i, I just respond to it so if it's harsh then i'll fi- i'll find open shade or i'll make shade because I'm shooting like a a lot of time I'm shooting a small subject, so I'll make my own shade, you know? Um,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying
1: it's, it's not ideal. I mean, obviously low light in wintertime is ideal. Like I love winter light because the sun is low and it's not so harsh, but when you can't do that, then I just make it work for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, um, do you bring, like, any reflectors or anything like that out into the field or, like, diffusers or anything like that?
1: No, I'll just take off my jacket and freeze sometimes. Or, you know, I'll use something that I have. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't really pay too much attention to carrying extra things. I, I, I don't really take much with me when I go.
0: One of the other things I wanted to ask you about – you had mentioned uh, that um, one of the things you like to do through your photography is to kind of show a sense of mystery or wonder and what your discoveries feel like. And I guess the main question is how, (laughs) how, (laughs) how how do you show a sense of mystery or wonder?
1: Um, by, by how you compose the subject. Um, people will often ask, what is that? Like you were asking about the Bravozoans. So it's how you go about, um, how you go about photographing it, but also there's an element of processing involved too. So, so I guess um, composing it in such a way that, you know, another person wouldn't have seen it the way you, you saw it. Like oftentimes people will just walk past uh, seaweed lying on a beach, they wouldn't have any clue that, you know, most of them have bryozoans on them, but they were in tidal pools, you know, um, but they wouldn't have noticed that. So um, having a sense of wonder, looking close, picking up things and looking at them, and then how you make your image and how you process it. So you can. It sounds um, like
0: you pre visualize a lot of your post processing, which. I really appreciate that, especially if you're already pre-visualizing, like inverting stuff like that, because I don't know that I would ever see that in the field. Um, I'd probably only see it later. But um, I'm curious, do do you have any tips for people that are a little bit slower like me that maybe haven't been able to (laughs) pre-visualize that type of creative processing in the field? Like, how have you gotten to the point where that just has come so naturally for you?
1: No, way. the biggest thing for me is knowing what I'm photographing. So, for example, uh, I wouldn't be able to photograph a night sky. I don't know anything about photographing the night sky. I don't know anything about the positioning of the like. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, like I wouldn't be able to do sure. night sky. I wouldn't. I I wouldn't even be able to do you know, grand mountain landscapes because I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about the plays of light. I don't know enough about the conditions. Hmm. So, so to photograph what I photograph, um, you just need to know more about it. You need to know more about the subjects themselves, the environment, the weather, the conditions, and yeah, just, uh, a knowledge. You need to have a knowledge of natural history for, I guess, what I photograph. I think like I, I couldn't imagine going out into the landscape and not knowing any natural history uh, that, uh, that, that wouldn't work for me. Yeah, uh, I just, um. For how I photograph, anyway.
0: So let's take, for example, uh, these these um, microorganisms that you found on the kelp. How did you develop that knowledge? I mean, are you like are you? I'm sure you're reading books and stuff like that. But for me, it's <laughs> oftentimes what happens to me is I'll find something that is interesting to me in the field, right? Like a flower or or a mushroom or something. I'm like, I don't know what that is. It looks really cool. I'm gonna take a picture of it um, and then I'm gonna to try to figure out what the heck it is later <laughs> so how do you how did you develop that knowledge base uh, years and years of
1: um, looking things up I guess I mean growing up here and then I was um, I was away for quite a few years but I came back so I just have um, I just know what I'm looking at uh, you become very familiar with uh, your environment and but that you know the geology the marine biology even mycology so knowing what the mushrooms are and i especially like knowing what i could eat <laughs> i often joke that you know if i was lost somewhere I, i'd i'd have no problem finding something to eat so it would it
0: would be fine sorry you made me laugh and then choke on my beer there for a second um cuz i was just envisioning <laughs> I, I i don't know my imagination goes wild and i was start, i was thinking about that scene in that movie where Into the Wild where that guy eats the wrong plant and his liver fails and I'm like that would be me eating the wrong thing and ending up dead yeah, would, somewhere. Would, that's cool. I would
1: I would say he wasn't very prepared.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I, maybe that was not the right thing to laugh about, but that's what I was envisioning for myself. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, awesome. <laughs> this has been <laughs> so much fun just digging digging into your your brain to figure out how it works to create these really compelling images, and I got to say, I've, I've just really been enjoying looking at your work, and I hope other people are inspired by it as much as I am. Um, so keep up, keep it up; it's awesome.
1: I shall. Thanks a lot.
0: Yeah. So, who would you uh, recommend uh, for the podcast? Who are your who inspires you? Ah, uh,
1: I I'm really drawn to. Um... People that um, do small scenes and intimate landscapes, and people that sort of—I mean, I wouldn't say they fly under the radar, but they're just—they're modest. They're—they're they're not shouting um, about their work, um, and they—they they make beautiful images without needing to shout. And you know that—that—that's uh, a good thing, I think. Um, there's Pete Hyde in the uh, United Kingdom, UK. Okay. So. His work is fantastic. Um, someone that I've seen every now and then, uh, Robin Hudson. He's uh, in the UK as well. And now for a Canadian, Kathleen um, Picard. Her uh, her work is fantastic. Uh, she's out of Ontario, and she does intimate landscapes. They're very subtle. I mean, it's it's fine art. It's fantastic work. Um there's one more there's um Chris Murray he's in uh, Syracuse in New York. He does very thoughtful work, a lot of intimate landscapes um yeah again uh, often a lot of these people sort of they're not well known they they're just they take amazing work and yeah they're not uh super loud about it so yeah and there's a few more, but um I think you wanted me to keep it to uh just uh three or four
0: right no, I mean those are. Those are great suggestions. I appreciate it. Yeah. So lastly, um, tell us about your um, gallery showing at Viewpoint Gallery and also some of the featured things that you've been featured in uh, more recently.
1: Uh, Let's see. Um, Yeah. I, I'm a member of Viewpoint Gallery. So I've had um, three group shows during COVID. My solo show, last march was shut down because everything was uh locked down and i had uh that was my second sh- solo show um i'm hoping that things will up again <laughs> yeah yeah um what was it oh um yeah i one one thing that was a nice surprise for me was being um one of the photographers for uh, in the magnificent planet the lenswork uh, magnificent planet book that yeah, was that was uh, awesome. that was uh, that, that, that was a nice surprise. Uh, yeah, I made it to page 98. <laughs> I saw you in there as well, yes?
0: I was, yeah. Um, yes. I was happily surprised by that as well. Yeah,
1: and I've had some work featured in uh, Black and White Photography Magazine recently. So that was um, that was a nice boost too.
0: And I think you were also in a recent issue of uh, On Landscape as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, that was two years ago now. I was a featured photographer in uh, issue 171, I think it was. It was uh, November uh, 2018, I think. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check that out. Um, I think that might have been right before or, yeah, like right around when I got my membership. So I'll have to go back and read the older issues. That'd be cool to see how they did that. I I enjoy those a lot.
1: Yeah, the uh, featured photographers that they uh, oftentimes that's um, it's it's a diverse it's a diverse sort of uh, you know makeup. So it's nice to see all the different types of genres and what people are shooting.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Krista, this has been a really great time. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule and uh, joining us for the chat. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being here. Well, thanks again to Krista for joining me on the podcast this week. I am a big fan of your work. I highly encourage other listeners to head over to Krista's website, which you can find in the show notes, and check out her very interesting photographs. I think they will leave you inspired and filled with wonder and mystery. Before we part ways, I wanted to remind listeners that my good friend Gary Randall still has some workshop openings for his 2020 Columbia River Gorge workshops. You could not meet a nicer guy than Gary, and he is possibly the most knowledgeable photographer when it comes to the gorge, and it happens to be one of my favorite places in North America. Check it out by going to gary-randall.com or following the link in the show notes. I also wanted to update you on our really wonderful partnership with Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. NPN is the premier community for landscape and nature photographers. And over on NPN, you can interact with some of the top names in the industry, get honest feedback and thoughtful critiques on your images, and read some of the most engaging and stimulating articles on the web that relate to our craft. Better yet, listeners of the podcast can get a 60-day free trial to NPN. Just follow the link in the show notes. Okay, let's talk about who is coming up. It's going to be a really wild time recording in the next few months. We have Richard Wong, one of our awesome Patreon supporters, coming on soon, coming on soon. He has a really great long-standing blog for landscape photographers that you should check out. I also have Bernard Gerardi coming on. He is the host of a new podcast over in Ireland. We met on Clubhouse, and I'm really looking forward to collaborating with him. I'm also going to be recording soon with Carolyn Chang, Matt McGee, Joel Truckenbrod, Kath Simmerd, Paul Schmidt, Lisa LaPointe, and many, many others. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.